Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. Uh, today I had to travel about mm, 60 miles, if that, from my house uh, over here to the beautiful uh, crazy mountain country. And here I am at the cabin of the editor-in-chief of the Modern Huntsman, uh, Mr. Tyler Sharp. Um, Tyler is... Uh, well, if, you, if you're familiar with The Modern Huntsman, uh, you'll know that it's a super high-quality publication that's expanding into podcasts and film and all kinds of other platforms. But their idea is, at least from an outsider like me who's watching it, uh, they are trying to engage the conversation over where the hunting, non-hunting space meets. Uh, and they do so in a very, very high quality fashion. We're talking about the quality of the end product. Just they to call this a magazine would be a mistake. It's the these I'll call them these books. They do this uh, biannual publication twice a year. You get this super high quality book of I don't know two hundred and fifty pages, something like that. And uh, it's a discussion of a lot of topics related to hunting. And they're not just necessarily topics through the eyes of U.S. hunters, uh, a lot of foreign stuff. Um, but uh, obviously with them being located right here, heavy on the U.S. stuff. Uh, but anyhow, Tyler's got uh, a hunting background that has taken him pretty much around the world hunting. And uh, now he hangs his hat here in Montana. So... The goal of this podcast is to learn more about how this discussion happens when you're on the walking that uh, place where the currents blend. <laughs> I don't know if there are eddies or rapids or class four whitewater or what it is when those two currents come together. But the hunting, not hunting, uh, non-hunting intersection doesn't necessarily have to be confrontational. It's a lot of the non-hunting people that I suspect that they encounter have an interest in food and, and maybe aren't averse to hunting, probably aren't averse to hunting, uh, but just want to understand more. So we're going to try to explore some of those ideas today, but I want to thank Leupold for making this possible. Go to leupold.com, check out all the cool stuff they have for 2020. And... Uh, my guess is you'll find something there that, that you like and also understand how much they do. Uh, they don't talk about it, but they do so much for conservation, access, shooting, all the things that are so important to the, the activity we love called hunting. Uh, also brought to you by Onyx, uh, Onyx Maps. If you go to onyxmaps.com and download their app and use promo code Randy, you'll save 20%. But more importantly, you will know where you are standing or where you want to stand. That's their motto, know where you stand. And I think that's that, that that's in one short <laughs> series of words, describes the importance of why I use Onyx as much as I do. It's it's one of those amazing products. So, uh, And also, we have GoHunt, uh, GoHunt.com. If you go there and sign up for the Insider, you'll have all this amazing information at your fingertips. It is application season, so uh, knowing uh, all this 
So <laughs> I guess being able to process all this information is going to get you over that first hurdle. The first hurdle to go on hunting, obviously, is getting a tag. So go to gohunt.com. You'll see why we promote it so much, why we use it so much. Uh, it's critical to our strategies of, of what we do to, to draw tags. So when you do that, use promo code Randy. They'll give you $50 gift card for free shopping of $50 in their gear shop. And you will be in the running. Your, your name will be in the hat for a drawing that they're going to conduct in early July for a Wyoming commissioner's tag. And some have asked, what's a commissioner's tag? Well, that's a tag where you can go to most any of the deer, elk, and antelope punt codes. There's a couple that are exempted, but all the premium ones you want to go do you are, are available under this commissioner's tag. And what it is, you say, this hunt code right here, I want that tag. You go turn in your commissioner's tag, and you get awarded a tag for that hunt code, whether it's elk, deer, or antelope. So, anyhow, uh, I'm here, uh, and uh, as quick as I hit the the button here, you're going to hear a little change, and it's going to be me and Tyler Sharp talking about the modern huntsman, and mostly talking about hunting communication in general, I would suspect. Thanks for being here. All right, folks, I told you guys in one of the most beautiful settings in all of North America, and I told you that we'd have a really interesting guest, uh, someone who has had a vision of what he wanted to do in the hunting space, and I suspect by the time we're all done with this, you're going to get to hear a little bit about business, startup, vision, creativity, messaging. Tyler Sharp from the Modern Huntsman. Am I right in that, Tyler? Yes. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope I can articulate it. Uh, um, what, what title do we give you not these days? CEO, editor in chief. Yeah, I don't know. What Creative the right title director. Is. It's funny because I get asked that right at some of the shows. If someone isn't familiar with what they're doing, they're like, "Okay, well, what what do you do?" Uh huh. And I don't I don't know how to say it without coming off as pompous, <laughs> right? But technically, yes, I'm owner, CEO, editor in chief creative director, although I do have some help with creative direction now. Uh, so a lot of things, any, everything I need to and have to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's many hats at this point. Yeah. Well, in the introduction, I gave the audience a little bit of a feel of what, what we were going to talk about. Um, but for people who aren't aware of your modern huntsman uh you're now expanding into digital and all kinds of other things so uh do you have an elevator speech sure so e even though there's no elevators in the shields Valley, well there's green elevators right, in the shields right. valley yeah, of there's Montana. an old one on the other side of that ridge <laughs> uh yeah i think that you know modern huntsman whether you it's not just a publication right it's it's more of kind of a media um aggregation, right? So basically I spent my career in the hunting industry, mostly in Africa, which is a controversial topic. And when I would come back from some of these trips, even in Texas, which is a pretty hunting friendly state, yeah. people would challenge me on, oh, I can't believe you're doing that. Or I, I can't believe you're murdering these endangered animals. Right. And I'd say, wait, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> you can't hunt endangered animals. And right. Murdering also refers to humans, so that's yeah. the wrong word choice. Anyways, I was forced to start defending myself and explaining uh, how this worked or, or this or that. And my observation, one, was that 
in most cases, a lot of uh, the hunting industry does a poor job of communicating to non-hunters. Uh, if anyone listens to this podcast, I didn't pay him to say that because they've yeah. heard it so many times from right. me. <laughs> so that mixed with, and, and that's not just, I mean, that's, that's me being with other people on some of these trips and someone asking them, and then it, they just started to say something defensive or aggressive rather than yeah. see that as an opportunity to educate that person. So that's one side. The other side is that a lot of non-hunters are either not educated about hunting's role in conservation or they're deliberately misinformed by animal rights campaigns or sensationalized Facebook posts or just people saying what they think that isn't really based on fact. And so that was kind of an uh, underarching frustration for me mm-hmm. in the course of my 15 years working as a cameraman in the hunting industry. And I used to film for Shockey and, and Michael Waddell and, and all those shows. And, um, and so I, I went through the belly of the beast and I went to 35 countries in three years and filmed hunts all over the world and just kind of had, you know, an observation in that way. And just through sort of a, a series of events sort of led to meeting my former co-founders and seeing what we felt was a need in the industry to not only address those principles, but also to elevate the aesthetic and artistic level of hunting and conservation media, right? Uh, you know, I, I came from a creative background. I went to film school and fine art school uh, you know, and, and I've worked with a lot of designers and I have friends at Apple and, and, and things like that. And, and so I've always had an appreciation for that. And there's other publications that do that, but not in the hunting space. Yeah. So we wanted to sort of bring that together and, and while, which is a very tall order to try to create something <laughs> very that, tall. you know, that still lives up to the standards of the hunting industry in terms of legitimacy and, and, um, and fact-based things and, and contributing in a positive way. Uh, and then in addition, make it in a package that someone who doesn't hunt would be able to approach and pick it up, right. And see that on a shelf in whatever bookstore or whole foods or whatever it is be like, what is that? That's interesting because really, you know, a a lot of the media I was seeing beforehand and, and some of the TV shows I worked on were for hunters Yeah, and some of it was kind of too a little too confrontational or in your face or or niche right yeah the average person off the street isn't necessarily going to want to pick up a a big buck whitetail magazine if they don't have an understanding of that (laughs) right and talk about probably nuances of food plots and size and all that so you know that's kind of the goal here is i think we can all agree that the future of hunting is I don't want to say questionable, right? We, we it, don't really it's know. always, uh, I don't know if at risk is the right word, but it, it's always in a tenuous lo- yeah. position. Yeah. So I think that my conversations with a lot of the leadership and organizations in the last few years is, you know, <clears throat> for lack of sounding critical, I don't, I don't know what the right term is, but let's say it's the old guard, right? Mm-hmm. The generation before us who has laid the groundwork, they've, they are holding these current leadership positions. How, who's focusing on passing the torch, right? right? So that's really what I'm focused on, not only from leadership positions, but also from how do we get new people into hunting, 
right? And those people have to come from a more diverse background, right? Yes. And, and the most frustrating thing to me about what we've been doing with Modern Huntsman is the backlash we've had about the fact that we are including non-hunters, and people from other backgrounds or possibly politically back different political backgrounds or socioeconomic situations or even other countries. And at the end of the day, if, if the, the hunting industry chastises or questions or discredits people who don't currently fit that, you know, membership mold, yep. then we're not going to be able to do what we need to do, which is. We've, we have a, a terminal path. Yes. Guaranteed. Yeah. And. My grandma used to have a really good statement about that when people got offended over things that, let's face it, to be offended because you are featuring people who maybe don't fit the mold. Sure. That's, that's that person's problem. That's <laughs> not your problem, Tyler. My grandma used to say, you know what? You've mistaken me for someone who gives a shit about your hurt feelings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I know you can't quite be that way, but sure. when I hear people say that, yeah. It just drives me nuts. Yeah. It's like, really? What? So somehow the, the, the birthright or pathway to being a hunter in America is based on uh, some preconceived idea of, mm -hmm. okay, we still want to always be 95% white male. Right. That's... <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> so well, the fact that you would get any grief over that just it causes me to shake my head. Well, and and I do I try to shake my head as well, but <laughs> you know, it has real repercussions, right? Oh, yeah. In terms of how we are perceived in the industry, mm -hmm. right? Uh and I and and to be fair, it's probably a minority of people who are right. very loud, but you know, I'll get called a hipster huntsman or I'm not hardcore enough or whatever it is because you go to my page and I'm not posting a bunch of Correct. You know, and I, I'm never going to sit here and tell you that I'm this hardcore DIY backcountry hunter. Cause guess what? I didn't grow up in Montana. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Texas. Most of my career was spent in Africa. If you wanted to go on a Cape Buffalo hunt and you wanted to learn how to maneuver, you know, the, the Savannah and not get eaten by a lion, I could take you there. Right. <laughs> yeah. My experience and my expertise is in a different realm. It's kind right. of backwards. Um, but I think that to me, it's more about diplomacy, right? I've been thinking about all these different catchphrases for, you know, when people ask what is modern huntsman, mm -hmm. that's an unofficial slogan is diplomacy for hunting. Yeah. Right. Is how do you have sensible conversations with people who aren't, don't understand, and who, who also quite possibly have emotional opposition to what we're doing, mm -hmm. right? And, and one of my issues, and this is something I've talked with Shane Mahoney a lot about is, so we have the numbers, right? As hunters and conservationists, we have the yep. numbers, hunting is conservation, right? Yep. That is not going to change someone's emotional stance on not how it. they feel. Not at all. You have to be able to, to reason with them emotionally about why, Right. What, what are the spiritual, philosophical, emotional, personal reasons that we do this beyond, oh, well, killing something generates money that pays for something. Yeah. Because That's, people don't. That has zero effect to them. Yeah. They're like, well, yeah. let's just divert some of the government funding then. Mm -hmm. And then you guys aren't necessary. If, if that's the only place we provide any relevance in mm -hmm. our discussion, it's hard to have honest communications uh and that you were saying diplomacy the the word i always try to use is honest mm -hmm. um i try not to be apologetic i try to explain to people that 
look, I grew up in a culture where we hunted for food Mm -hmm. and it was not just hunting. It was fishing. It was gardening. It was foraging. It was in Northern Minnesota in a little logging town. Mm -hmm. We were as close as being off the grid and, uh, preppers Mm -hmm. as you could be in the lower 48. Yeah. And no one ever thought any different of it. And I don't, I don't have any sense that I need to apologize for that. Mm -hmm. And I've carried that forward in my life today where hunting is very, very important to me for so many reasons that are beyond the old. (laughs) You probably get the same feeling when you hear it. Oh, well, they'd starve to death if we didn't hunt them. When I hear that, I just cringe. I'm like, please, that that worked in third grade. Yeah, we're beyond third grade. Yeah. We got to think of a more honest discussion because these people, whether you want to categorize them as uh, emotional or off kilter or whatever, because they see the lens of or their lens to the world is different than yours. You have to, if you aren't honest about why you hunt, what motivates you, what you get out of it, they're going to see through that. And they're going to call mm-hmm. bullshit. Yeah. And that, that, I think that steps backwards rather than steps forward. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that I, I was just, uh, I was in Houston, the Houston Safari Club yep. Foundation. Um, they asked me to be one of the speakers. They had a youth wildlife conservation expo. And so I was in a room full of, I don't know, two or 300 high school students. And uh, it was funny because I asked my younger brother, hey, how do, I, how do I be perceived as a peer and not a professor? He's like, no chance, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and you're way younger than I am, so I can't I, even I'm imagine what soul. they would I'm think. an old soul. My, my <laughs> sister used to jokingly call me uncle grandpa to her kids. <laughs> so anyways, I was giving this talk, right, about, you know, a lot of those kids in the room were hunters, but I, I said, you know, is there anyone here who's not a hunter? And they raised their hand. And, and, and I was basically talking about, you know, especially responsibility on social media, right? And understanding that we're in a different world now where you can't just put whatever you want up all the time, that there's repercussions for that. And you need to be mindful of those, those yeah. actions and consequences and use those opportunities when you do get confronted to see that as a, an opportunity to, uh, to engage with that person and, and educate them. And I gave the example of, I was in Manhattan, I was in New York City. I had been in the Berkshires at my friend's cabin and we had done a cast and blast. So we had turkey hunted in the morning and then we had uh, fished for some trout uh, that afternoon. And then we, I got on the subway and came back into Manhattan and I was wearing, <laughs> you know, I was wearing like a Filson vest and a long sleeve shirt and a, and a, like a fly fishing, like a Stetson hat. Right. Uh-huh. And I had my camera bag and I'm on the subway and there's this, this little girl who, you know, maybe she, she, she looked like Puerto Rican or something. She had this beautiful curly hair and, and she was sitting there, she was probably eight years old Mm -hmm. and she was on her iPad and she kept looking at me. (laughs) And after about the fourth time of me catching her, I, you know, I waved to her and she dropped her iPad and she goes, she goes, what are you, what are you, Indiana Jones or something? You going fishing or something? And I said, well, actually I was just fishing and turkey hunting. And she was like, hunting, what do you mean? You know? And she had no concept of pursuing wild animals for food. And this was in a subway, right? So on the train. And so I'm having this public conversation with this little girl who's challenging me on why I was 
trying to kill a turkey. And to be fair, I was taking the photos. Yeah. I wasn't actually hunting, but still it's hunting. Right. And, and so I was saying, you know, well, we, we, we could eat this turkey. And she's like, you can, you can get your own food from the forest. Like, yeah. And so I had this conversation. And so she, who knows if she'll ever actually hunt. <laughs> right. But the fact that she's at least aware that that is a possibility. Right. And that nobody else on the train in Manhattan accosted me or one be like, don't talk to my daughter, you know, that, and I guess that's kind of the example is that situations like that, having the right tone, having kind of an open mind, not drawing a hard line and at least being prepared to have that conversation is, is kind of what modern huntsman is about. Right. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but showcasing a wide array of perspectives on both sides yep. that bring about a constructive conversation. And in, in the women's issue in our, in our fourth book, we actually had Birgit Cameron, who's the CEO of Patagonia provisions in the book. And to my knowledge, that's the first time that Patagonia has ever been in a hunting publication. Yeah. And we're now talking with them about, about ongoing partnerships because as they focus more on public land, they, they've realized they can no longer deny the role of the hunter in, in these conservation initiatives. Yeah. And so they've, you know, expressed their approval of, or at least appreciation for the way we've been presenting it. And they feel like that's something that they could safely be aligned with, uh, you know, whether or not that plays out, I don't know, but the fact that we're having those conversations is encouraging. And, and that's what we've been trying to set out to do from the beginning is I'm not interested in the, the fights about if you're wearing camo or solid colors or traditional or, or, or compound bow, like that doesn't matter. Tyler, what fun are you, man? Come on. <laughs> Haven't you ever been out hey, on the internet? Those arguments that? are happening regardless of whether or not I'm publishing a book or not. So I'm not really interested in participating in those. I'm trying to just circumnavigate those and, you know, and, and search. So I'm not going to read 10 ways to kill your bigger buck this fall probably not for me <laughs> I, I, don't I haven't yet you've you've had so i told you when i subscribed i missed uh volume one mm -hmm. and then you guys had i think the first one i got was a public land mm -hmm. one number two Okay. Mm -hmm. And then um, we did wildlife management was number three. Yeah. And now I've got this one here. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason I really appreciate what you're doing is you dedicated an amazing publication strictly to women. Mm -hmm. And I've had, in fact, some of these people like Lindsay and Sarah and Nicole, I've had on my podcast, um, I see Jess quite a bit. Mm -hmm. They they bring so much to the discussion. I mean, I just got goosebumps even thinking about what it was like to work on this with them. Yeah. I mean, we, from the beginning, uh, Jillian Lequiski, her Instagram is the Noisy Plume. She's a, a dear friend of mine. And, and from the she's been involved in Modern Husband from the beginning. And she was the one who... You know, when we were thinking about the title, like, is, are people going to get upset about the word huntsman, right? Yeah. Is that gender exclusive? And she's like, no, screw that. She was like, the word human includes both genders too. And huntsman's a more poetic word. And, you know, so as we started to go down this path, we've always involved women, but it quickly became clear that there was so many, it was overwhelming, right? Every mm -hmm. time we were like, okay, well, we need to have, you know, more contributors in this and that. And it was like, we just need to do a whole women's issue. Yeah. And... And from the beginning, right, we kind of think about what are the pitfalls, what are going to be the criticisms, what are people going to say, oh, this is a publicity stunt, oh, this is going to be patronizing or, or whatever. And so 
I wasn't going to pretend like I know what the hell I'm talking about with women. So I stepped aside and brought in Jess and Lindsay and Nicole and Katie Marchetti Uh and said, what do you, what do you ladies want to do? Where do you want to go? What do we want to talk about? Who do we want to include as a, as women in this industry? Right. And because, uh, and of course there's, there's some male contributors, right? Some of the photographers and writers writing some of these stories, but for the most part, you know, they, they held the reins and they guided that ship and, 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 you know, myself and, and Jen's and a few of my editorial team were there to participate and, and provide an alternative perspective or, or guide. But for the most part, and, and this was unbelievably humbling and inspiring to read about these women from all over the world who are way more badass than me for sure. And, uh, and, and just the diversity in perspectives of what they view hunting as and how it enriches their life. And, uh, you know, and then down to the cover choice, we, we got criticized that that wasn't hardcore enough and that it didn't represent what some women in the hunting industry feel like. And, but that was by design, right? Yeah. Because they're sure you, you've seen photos of, um, you know, a woman with blood on her face and an animal on her back being just as tough as the guys. And, and that exists, right? Cause, cause women can do that. But we wanted to show something that was a little bit different from what you would think of as the female hunter and the salmon sisters from Alaska are, they are hunters. They don't right. talk about it a lot, but they they grew up in an incredibly h- harsh environment, <laughs> learning how to fish and forage and can salmon and and make pies from berries they picked in the the field and navigate a storm and all kinds of crazy stuff. And it was pretty cool because that's the first time they've ever told, at least from what I remember, that's the first time they've actually written their family story. Wow! And so for women who don't hunt, right. Mm -hmm. Who see this, that is a more approachable image and a concept, right. Cause not all women are going to want to go be with the guys. Some of them may just want to go out on a nice bird hunt, you know, and, and be able to dress, uh, in a fashionable way and maybe shoot at a couple birds and then drink some wine afterwards. Right. And if that's what it takes to, to get them out in the field, great. Yeah. Right. Because there's so many different versions of hunting and that's part of what we want to show is that there's, there's lots of different ways. I mean, you could walk around in, in the woods with your grandpa's shotgun and never see a bird, but technically that's hunting, right. you know, and you may have a chance, you may not. Um, so yeah, that's, it was, uh, it was an amazing experience for sure. Well, from as someone who's been involved in this gig, well, depends on what I call the gig, the sure. hunting gig since I was about five, but producing media Mm. for the last 12 and even before that being probably the last 30 years involved in the conservation space, um, seeing an entire publication produced with the intent of showing this activity through the lens of women rather than just the one article with 12 issues or Mm -hmm. 12 pieces about guys in deer camp or whatever it just has a depth and flavor and tone to it because it's the entire thing that it's just different. And when you're reading piece after piece, it's a lot easier to put yourself to the degree. It's hard for someone, a 55 year old white male who grew up in a hunting culture to understand the lens through Mm -hmm. which someone else will see it. Yeah. But 
went a long ways towards showing me how many different lenses there are to look at hunting, how that hunting changes, how the rest of their lives, at least what they've communicated yeah. and, and communicated very powerfully in this stuff, um, how hunting affects mm -hmm. how they yeah. go forward in this path. So I, you know, if anybody had a criticism about that, we need to just send them off the plane <laughs> at end of the deep end. Well, and it was funny so. too, because one of the other fears, right, that people, or I think that what is, what might have, or might be preventing some people from ordering that issue is that they felt that it was going to be this sort of male, male bashing thing. No. And it was such an uplifting and encouraging experience to read these stories because so many of the women in this book were, were taught or helped or assisted or given fair chances by men in their lives. And they're mm. all super thankful and appreciative of it. And so it gave me a little bit of faith in us as men, right. <laughs> that, that, you know, uh, that that's reality. And of course that's not the case with everyone. Right. right. Um, but they're really, wasn't a whole lot of negativity, right? There was, there were some stories about the difficulty of, of earning your place as an outfitter, mm -hmm. right? Um, with Kate Watson in, in British Columbia as a fly fishing guide, you know, she had a lot of struggles there. Uh, but for the most part, right. It was, uh, it was incredibly just a, a positive thing. And, uh, yeah, I learned a lot for sure. Well, what we're talking about, folks, is volume four of The Modern Huntsman. And how many pages is this? It, it's it, 272. 272. And it is some of the most impressive uh, imagery, depth of story. This, every one of these, it, you're publishing two actual novels a year. It's a book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a book and we actually changed that language because originally we were calling it a, a magazine. Yeah. And when you say magazine, people think glossy pages, lots of ads. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a book and my business partners are trying to get me like, Oh, we need to go quarterly. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's so gotta be a ton of work. We're going to do, we're going to try to do additional uh, books, mm -hmm. but smaller 50 to hundred page special edition kind of stuff. And that's the kind of thing where you could focus on a whitetail or you could focus on fishing or something like that. That isn't as immersive. Yeah. I mean, these are, I mean, I think there was 35 contributors in that one yeah. from all over the world. Yeah. And so you, I mean, you want to look at my WhatsApp chat <laughs> list, it's 13 different time zones, uh, you know, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's really rewarding. And I think at this point, you know, we've established the level of, of quality. Right. Oh, and, for sure. And I think that uh, there's a lot of people who are coming to us now recognizing that from, from other avenues, not just the hunting industry. And I, I was actually just given a tremendous honor. Um, there's a, a photo, it's called a photo editor. It's a blog that's probably one of the more respected and prolific portfolio review sites 
for sure in the country, if not the world. Mm -hmm. And they reached out to me as uh, they did an interview with Don human, the photographer who shot the cover image. And then they reached out to me. Um, and I got interviewed, uh, by a woman named Heidi Volpe, who's the director of photography for Patagonia. Mm. And so I just did a whole interview about the more editorial side, right? My journey as a photographer and writer, all the different publications I've worked with in the past. And then I based the the structure of this off of everything I didn't like from other magazines I've worked on yeah, and trying to really, you know, have it benefit the contributors. Right. I, I felt like there were so many magazines I worked for that I was excited to go do this assignment. Right. And then it would come out and you had to turn it sideways and look on the spine <laughs> to find photo credit. And it was like, okay, thanks. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. And it, ne- I never felt like I was part of the team. I didn't feel like it was an ongoing thing. And so apart from very clearly identifying everyone who produces the work, we're doing social promotion. We're doing profiles on our website. We're having them on the podcasts We're you, you know, we're going to launch a print shop pretty soon where we're going to be selling fine art prints that, kind of accompany the issues. Uh, And then I actually give some contributors a percentage of the issue sales, which incentivizes them to promote their story and they get a cut if, if we get, you know, more sales and things like that. And so that way they just feel a little more invested and and part of the team. And, and it's, um, it's gone really well. I mean, the people that we have been consistently working with are, they feel like, you know, family at this point. And, uh, you know, which helps because everybody's overworked and underpaid. So (laughs) (laughs) comes with working in this space is is the feeling of overworked and underpaid. Mm -hmm. So when you, you've got this, every volume almost has its own theme, Mm -hmm. own story. Uh, and each of the submissions that you get or that you put together seem to be chapters in a book. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like it's just without rhyme or reason. It, there's a, a connectedness from mm-hmm. one place to the oh, next yeah. in there. Where else? I, I mean, not that you uh, you need to tell the whole world what your mm-hmm. plans are, but as I think about hunting communication, if I I would have to live to be 200 years old to touch every topic mm-hmm. that I feel like yeah. deserves its own space. Do you struggle with mm-hmm. how you prioritize that? How do you filter what what's what's important to you, what's important to your sure. listeners and readers versus what's actually practical within the confines of what you got to deal with? Yeah. It's it's hard. I think that there's a a balance between who who are we? What is our role? Right? What can we legitimately hope to accomplish. Right. And you know, when we're talking about 10 ways to kill a bigger buck, that stuff exists, right? There are people focused on that. Yep. Lots of that. There are lots of conservation groups focused on those things. Right. So I'm trying to take an overview of where are the holes, right? What's missing? Where can some dots be connected? How can we move this forward? Uh, and, and, you know, when you're so close to something for so long, sometimes you're not able to see the forest of the trees kind of thing. And so <laughs> I'm kind of focused on that. What are people not doing? Yeah. Right. Not just thematically, but creatively and strategically and 
entrepreneurially and all that kind of stuff that, you know, my business partners grown at all the time. They're like, wait, you want to do a whole issue about Africa? What are you talking about? That mm-hmm. sounds like suicide. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> tape your wrists up. Right. There's your story uh, there. Though. Yeah. So I think that for, we, we have the next three themes. Um, the next one that we're going to release here in the next two months <laughs> Uh, which we're currently grinding on is, is a traditions issue, which I mentioned earlier, but it's basically in a formal sense, hunts based on cultural traditions, right? Mm -hmm. So when you, when you can't explain to someone when the numbers don't add up, right. Or when you can't explain to someone why, right. There are some hunts in the world that are being challenged and some people say, oh, well, it's tradition. Okay. And some of that is, is, is grounded and, and, um, you know, justifiable and some of it's not. So we're diving into that a little bit. And so there's cultural hunts, right? Norwegian whale hunting. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're touching on that. We're touching on, uh, there's Russian, uh, native walrus hunters on the coast of the Kamchatka Peninsula. There's the Kalahari Bushmen. There's, you know, uh, Patagonian, uh, you know, land management gauchos down there. There's, um, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to go, but to Japan, there's these matagi, these traditional Japanese bear hunters. And then in a less traditional sense, there's a tradition of whitetail hunting in the Midwest. There's a tradition of quail hunting in the Southeast, tradition of bow making, things like that. So that word can apply to a lot of different things. And so I don't really know how they pop up probably um, in my dreams when I'm <laughs> not resting, but I'm thinking about work. And, uh, and then from there, you know, my, one of my closest collaborators, his name is Byron Pace of, of the Pace brothers, and he's mm-hmm. based in Scotland and he is just so tuned in to international hunting affairs and, and, and cultural. If you ever want to go to Scotland to hunt, Byron's your man. He knows yeah. every gamekeeper, all the estates, all the farmers, and he can kind of come and go. And so, everybody just kind of dumps their pockets out. Like, what do we got? Who do we know? And usually within a 20, 30 minute conversation, we've got a Google doc of some really cool ideas. And then, you know, we usually involve some guest editors who say, Oh, well, I know this person or, you know, or Chris Burkhardt. And then Chris Burkhardt knows a couple people. And, uh, it's a mix of, you know, (laughs) budget wise, what can we produce internally? And then, you know, who do we know and, and what, what are some shoot for the stars kind of things. But, uh, I mean, we're, we're having conversations with, with government officials in, uh, I met with the secretary of state in Hungary when I was there in the fall, I met with the prime minister of Botswana, um, at Dell Safari club. And because now they're seeing what we're doing and they realize that we can be a microphone for communicating these hunting um, principles or conservation initiatives to Western audiences, right? And and acting as an effective diplomat between what is otherwise a broken down lane of communication. Yeah. And so, as we start to progress, some of that sh- shaping it, right? What do, what do we need to do versus what do we want to do? And uh, I'm I'm trying to. It's a a, a mix of feeling like I'm on this wave that I'm just barely in control of and, (laughs) you know, can I make a turn or is this wave just going to send me where it wants to send me? And, uh, so, you know, it's, it's kind of, we, we try to recalibrate and, and then especially that we're only doing two a year, right. Being able to address some of the more 
I don't know, specific topics on a shorter timeline. Right. But then with the podcast that we have, and then, you know, a lot more of the digital stories and, and we're going to do some events this year. Uh, we're going to have an event in Bozeman in June. I think I, I don't remember if it's June or July with mystery ranch. Who's yep. been an amazing partner with us because they have a film that's, that's releasing that right. was part of the archery story in the women's issue. So we're going to, that's the goal, right? Is that we're working on longer term timelines with, with our brand partners to coordinate with their product releases, their film releases, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, Ryan Holm for mystery ranch. Yep. Shout out to Ryan uh, yeah. because he's been, he's kind of a hunting misfit too. You know, he comes from <laughs> Colorado, like a rock climbing background. And, uh, and so I think that, you know, we've really connected on the, on the level of, okay, how can we think really creatively and strategically about how to do something a little different than what's been done before. And it's been so much fun because we're talking about the year we're talking about 2020, yep. right? What are we going to do this year? And when you can think that far ahead and really dial things in and making sure that we have product to whatever country that we're shooting the story in, um, that's, you know, that's been the dream from the beginning and kind of mixing my creative direction background and content production with, you know, editorial and, and, and partnership and all that. So it's, I kind of made it up. Oh, you made it up, but yeah, it wasn't like you pulled it out of thin air. No, no, no. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, you know, patchwork, right? Well, that works, but that doesn't work. And I like this, but I don't like that. And, um, which has been challenging because to communicate the complexity of what that looks like to a brand for the first time at SHOT Show in a meeting or something like that, it's not a two minute conversation. No. Not at all. This is not all about impressions and CPMs. And we have that too, but you know. But it's about substance mm -hmm. and it's more qualitative than it is yeah. quantitative, yeah. even though you want to have mm -hmm. the that part of it. Um, if you go out, so before we get into some deeper discussions sure. here about the, the discomfort I try to put myself in. Um, some may not be familiar with the Modern Huntsman. Mm -hmm. And so they just go to modernhuntsman.com mm -hmm. and they'll find this. They can subscribe to this amazing yeah, you publication. Can, you can order individual copies or, or you can subscribe. And then we just released the box set. That's like a wooden box that all four volumes fit yeah. into. Um, and then there they'll be able to, when you're talking about the podcast mm -hmm. and you're talking about all these other things, that's the place. Yeah. I, I just don't want to forget that at the end mm -hmm. here. So that if they go yeah. to modernhuntsman.com, mm -hmm. all these platforms you're talking about, yeah. all these ideas, all these special people are, you can find them there. Yeah. And it's just, it's at Modern Huntsman on Instagram. We're pretty active on there and, and are posting a lot of stuff, but, but between those two, yeah, you can find everything that we've referenced. So in my years now of doing TV, Amazon, other video platforms, podcasts, websites, social media, whenever I start feeling comfortable in what I'm doing in terms of the message and in terms of my business model, if you want to call it that, <clears throat> I don't make any money. So can you call that a business model <laughs> if you're not getting a paycheck? But anyhow, I intentionally push myself to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I've always had this feeling that if I'm comfortable, I'm skating. 
And I look at the content we produce. We're real heavy into conservation stuff, into mm-hmm. public land stuff, access stuff, food stuff. And I push my crew, come on, we need more ideas. Every Monday morning and every Wednesday afternoon now, we're on this calendar where people throw ideas out mm-hmm. there. And I look at some of the topics you guys cover in the publication, podcast, in just your imagery. It's it is walking probably even a a further distance out on the the line of discomfort than I do, and I I think I'm pretty far out <laughs> on the on the line of discomfort at times. But yeah. I guess we each have our own places where we are comfortable, yeah, based on our personal life experiences. So. I guess it's it's hard to compare where one person feels they're sure. pushing the line of discomfort versus someone else. Yeah. But you guys are doing a, a good job. Of that. At <laughs> least for me, as someone who, yeah. who follows your content. Oh, trust me, I'm yeah. uncomfortable. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always tell the story about my, my mother's from a very small town in Texas, and her name's Barbie Lee. And uh, I don't really think she fully understands what it, what it is that I do. And I was home, I don't know, I think around Dallas Safari Club in January and, and I was trying to explain all these meetings I had and what we were doing and, and she kind of goes, oh, well, sounds like you're diving headfirst into controversy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good description, you know, because I think that for me, right, with that initial goal, right, of, of seeing those two observations of, of poor communication and lack of education, that it's almost like I'm trying to prove that the craziest topic that there is out there, we can discuss in a constructive way, which, which we're going to do. We're going to publish a story about elephant hunting in Botswana that I've hired a National Geographic photographer and writer to take on in partnership with the Botswana government. And that's the kind of thing where that does not but get more elephant, controversial right. than that, right? And, <laughs> and so, right, that's, that's one of those things where that's like the, you know, it doesn't get harder to discuss than that. And so no. if we can, not if, right, when we do it, because if we don't, it'll crush us, then it will prove that these things can be handled in a constructive way. And I think that that's kind of been the point from the beginning is how do we create an atmosphere or a media outlet where these conversations can be had? Because currently, or at least through the formation of this, it didn't really seem like that existed. It does not exist. Yeah. You're, you're not going to offend anybody. Yeah by being truthful that those kind of conversations cannot happen unless I'm from, I, and I just say this from the hunting side, we only are comfortable having that conversation. If we control every part about it, we've got mm. a friendly audience. We've, we've got the echo chamber in front mm. of us. Well, you're purposefully pushing yourself away from the echo chamber. Mm. I'm going to be super interested to see how that, that turns out there's going to, regardless of what the, what you feel the outcome will be, Tyler, there is going to be a path and lessons learned in what you're doing mm-hmm. that are going to be valuable for anyone who communicates topics related to hunting. I, I hope so. I, I don't want you to feel like you're the guinea pig out there, but 
Hey, if, if you're taking be, that on, yeah. you you are. No, you're we volunteering. Are, you know, and I've I've put an Africa piece in every issue. Mm-hmm. My for in volume one, I I wrote, which I'll I'll give you before you leave. I wrote a four thousand word story about how hunting works in Tanzania from my experience, mm-hmm. right? Based on those conversations of when people started to challenge me, how I would explain it to them. Yeah. And I've had that conversation with a lot of people who would otherwise have been really upset about the idea of hunting in Africa, even about lions or elephants. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and yeah, so I think that that's something that we're, we're working towards and, uh, you know, Byron is probably even better than I am at it. Uh, he's just so articulate and he's got the Scottish accent. So yeah. that helps, right? It <laughs> just sounds smarter, but, uh, yeah, I just, you know, and, and sounds smart. <laughs> he's very smart. Lord Byron, uh, you know, and, and a lot of it's motivated by the fact that I have a lot of friends there who are some of the most, genuine, hardworking, dedicated conservationists you've ever met in your life and the shit that they've been through in their lives in Africa, trying to make it work and how much they care about improving a a landscape and and having the populations thrive. And then to have to battle uphill based on some American policy because of some social media slander in the United States is kind of disheartening. And so that's part of it too, is I want to help that. Wow. That's, I, every time I get to interact with people from hunting communities or cultures, whatever term you want to put to it, that are different than what I've been exposed to, I learn so much. Absolutely. I spent the better part of a day uh, at Wild Sheep Show visiting with a person who I had no idea the native wildlife that still exists in Spain. Mm-hmm. I had no idea some of the challenges they face there. And this person, he is all in on the native species of Spain. And as I'm listening to him talk about this and how hunting plays such a critical role Mm -hmm. in it and trying to get acceptance of not just hunting, but just of some of these wildlife create headaches for Mm -hmm. people who have a different view of how the landscape should be used. I'm thinking to myself, you know, we have these same problems in the United States, but this guy, he's a smaller minority probably Mm -hmm. than we are in the United States. And he's going face on into the buzzsaw Mm -hmm. because he loves what those what those native wild species represent in the culture that's been yeah. built around them. And as I go away from that discussion, I'm thinking, you, you bring up Tanzania. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how many stories of hunting cultures or hunting communities are out there that I'm not even aware of mm-hmm. that would change my view, maybe get me, give me, incentive to get away from the, oh, poor me, I'm tired of fighting the battle, blah, 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 mm-hmm. or gee, this is going to be hard or whatever. We are, we're pretty spoiled on this continent yeah, compared to other places. I would say so. And I think that, you know, I was so fortunate to be able to travel and see these, I mean, Pakistan, I, hunt, I was in Pakistan for six weeks in 2009. Really? Yeah. <laughs> hunting sand ibex and uh russia the kamchatka peninsula and you know there's hunting in nepal and in india and all kinds of places right and just to understand right that and that's you know another criticism we've had is that we 
we fo- we don't have enough. We should just be focused on U.S. issues, right? But people, there's plenty of people focused on U.S. issues, right? right? And I feel like my role, being especially with Byron and I's experience combined together, is to help showcase some of what you're talking about. That that at a certain point, right? This isn't just a U.S. hunting issue. This is a global conservation issue. Yep. So that's from the beginning. I've always this is going to be a global thing. It's not just U.S. based. And so you can learn, right? And we went into a little bit in volume two about about public land yep. and the difference and how it's in Scotland and then what is it like in Iceland and then there's no rules in New Zealand and all that kind of stuff and, you know, kind of understanding how it works. And I don't know, in, in certain situations that might lead to some sort of consultancy, right? Or how do you make it better? Right. And, uh, and that's happening in some cases, not, not with us, but you know, people like Simon or people like Shane, Mm -hmm. it's not far fetched to think that some government might tap them at some point to help improve the circumstances. Yeah. And you're referring to Simon Roosevelt and Shane Mahoney. Yes. And, uh, I, I have Shane on my podcast at least twice a year Mm -hmm. just because his travels and the involvement he has at a global level brings so much perspective and so much understanding. He can he can look at our problems and not that he has all the answers, but his assessment of it, he can put it in such an understandable way because he's dealing on a global level mm-hmm. in all these groups he belongs to and who he represents in those discussions. He what he's how he's having to package what we deal with looks like fourth grade homework <laughs> instead of, you know, some sure. sort of differential equations that yeah. he has to deal with when he's dealing with the, with these outside of the United States. And he has so much charisma that even if it isn't the right answer, everyone thinks that, wow, this is my answer. I totally, you know, <laughs> everyone shuts up and listens when he's talking. Yeah. You keep referring to a podcast. What's the name of the podcast? So it's called Into the Wilderness. It's It was originally started by the Pace Brothers. Yep. And as we've started to work with them more and more, we've sort of brought that into the fold. And so right now we're the exclusive partner on the podcast yep. with Byron. And it's often an extension of each issue. So we did interviews with Jess and Nicole and, and a lot of the contributors and, um, and, and story or subjects of the stories as a way to sort of extend beyond, you know, what's in print. And it's been really interesting because it's from all over the world right? Some of it's in the UK, some of it's in Africa, some of it's South America, you know, and Byron had never been to Montana and he's such a history geek. So Mm. he was here last February and seeing, you know, the words Yellowstone as we're driving across the (laughs) bridge over here, he's like, oh, he's like taking pictures out the window. I'm like, we're going to go to actual Yellowstone. Okay. That's just a sign. And, uh, so to, but, but to have someone with that much enthusiasm and passion for the history here, and he's such a grouse nut, right? Because really? he, he works with a lot of the gamekeepers in Scotland on red and black grouse. So I got to introduce him to Ben Williams over here and he got to, he wrote like a 6,000 word grouse dissertation in volume three and, and comparing management models yeah. kind of thing. So, and that's kind of the way we take that approach, right? Is, is you know, and then expanding the conversation beyond what we did in print and knowing, okay, how would we like to continue that conversation? So yeah. you, what you do in print and 
I was telling some people that this is this is Prince version of a podcast, and by that I mean mm-hmm. the depth of discussion mm-hmm. that you can have in a podcast. Yeah, in today's world of so much static being presented to people, uh, as far as messaging and media. The beauty of a podcast is you can sit down for an hour to two hours and really have a discussion. Mm-hmm. Anymore, print has went a direction where, well, let's put a bunch of ads in here and let's try throw the standard looking, standard stated, written, you know, 1200 word piece in there. Yeah. It, it leaves me wanting so much more. In fact, it doesn't even wet my, it, mm-hmm. anymore, I, I quickly thumb through them to see if there's a, a piece by somebody I know. Sure. And if not, recycle. Yeah. Um, whereas this, what you have here, just looking at volume four, it's over an inch thick of amazing glossy and imagery. This is what I think of as Prince version of a podcast. You yeah. can go into depth. You can uncover pieces you can pick scabs you can go, yeah. go down old memory lanes and you can also look out the front windshield to see where's this going the difficult part is that not everybody wants to read that much really yeah and uh you know i think that and that's the first that's the first thing i ask someone who challenges us on some point or another and i said what well, did you read it Hmm. Well, no. Okay. <laughs> well, don't you think you should? <laughs> and to be fair, right in, in today's world, it's right. you know you look at an Instagram caption, and if it if you have to scroll past the caption, you're like, Ugh, I don't know. Yeah. So I think that that's something that we're considering, right? With doing more of the digital, and then having some smaller issues. Not everybody is a reader anymore, mm-hmm. right? And especially in the depth that you're, that you're discussing for the people who do, right. We get amazing feedback and wow. Like, and and we get a lot of photos of someone sitting by the fire with a whiskey, right. Uh, Or or at their cabin or with coffee, because that's the context, right. That's to do it in. Um, it's not a fast, fast food read. (laughs) It's more of like a Italian meal, right? Yeah. You're going to start eating at nine and you may not be done till one. Yeah. This is, this is not Taco Bell. No. Nothing against the folks who eat at Taco Bell, but this, this piece here, this publication is not that. So when you think about it in your mission, if I understand it correctly, because you on your website and elsewhere you say what your mission is. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like you want to foster these discussions where hunting merges with other parts of society. Am I, am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. I would say so. And when you do that, you run the risk of hunters saying, oh, you're too soft. Or mm-hmm. you're, you're, oh, absolutely. All you, the time. you're apologetic when really you're just listening. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of value in listening rather than talking at times. Let's put it this way. This is a a metaphor I've used before. Okay. And, and yeah, people have said, oh, you're softening the image of hunting, whatever. Okay. Well, I'm not married. Okay. But if I was married, right. And I'm in the mood, right. If your goal, right. (laughs) (laughs) You could either say, honey, let's make love 
or honey, let's screw. Yeah. Okay. Those two choices of language may not have the same result. Okay. Yes. One would probably be received in a slightly more positive manner. Correct. So think of it that way, right? That choosing the tone in which you portray this information can have a more positive effect, right? So if you use the harsh language and you say, oh, kill and blood and this and that, like, sure, maybe in certain contexts, you should be able to say that if that's what you want to say, but there's a difference in being apologetic or diplomatic. And I think that's what it comes down to is, is just tone and word choice. And I think that you know, there's some people in life who just don't want to make that effort or they don't want to improve their character or their reading level or whatever it is. And that's fine. Right. Yeah. Uh, they want to go down with the ship kind of thing, but <laughs> I don't want the ship to go down. I would like the ship to keep sailing. Uh, so uh, I'm going to do what I can to avoid conflict where necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at, at least in that, in the context of accomplishing a goal or, or in, constructive conversations, right? Well, you must feel that you almost own that lane because there's really nobody who's positioned themselves in hunting communications that I'm aware of. Yeah. Who said this lane over here where these two places meet, that's my lane. I I don't know anyone who who's going there. I don't either. I I don't want to say that we own it. Uh I try to remain yeah. you know, grounded and whatever you want to call it. I don't like to make objective statements in general. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that I don't know of a whole lot of people who are doing it on the scale that we are. And I think that I wouldn't be upset if there were, right. Cause I Mm -hmm. think if, if the more that that's happening, the more the conversations occurring, that's probably a good thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that we're, we definitely pushed into some uncharted territory and by design and, um, which is also terrifying. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's exciting and, and it's ups and downs and, you know, the people who flocked to the banner mm-hmm. have just been, you know, I can't even, I couldn't even sit down and write some of how it's played out. Yeah. Right. It's been amazing. Well, a lot of people say that hunting was not ready for social media. And for me, I agree that hunting was not necessarily ready for everybody in effect being an ambassador of some mm-hmm. way or a, an image of hunting. But I think we could say that about society in general. I, I don't think society in general was ready for the the power of being able to prove how stupid you are every day. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that yeah. after, after looking at Facebook feeds this yeah. morning over my coffee. Uh, we should all have personal editors. <laughs> yeah. But I think part of the reason hunting maybe, or some people will say we weren't ready for that, is we never forced ourselves to go there where we were going to be challenged, Mm -hmm. where we had to articulate very difficult topics, Mm -hmm. where we had to explain how we reconcile that when something dies, we do have this sense of accomplishment for the food, for the adventure, for the fact that, yes, this is a part of the chapter of this big book called A Hunt for Mm -hmm. whatever day or year species it is, we've never had to articulate that. So 
the leaders in our media space have had the benefit of not having to engage. We almost had, by lack of tools or lack of communication platforms, we almost had our own little playground mm-hmm. that no one else ever came in. Yeah. As quick as that playground gets overlapped with everything else, we have people that have always been in a certain playground with certain rules and certain behaviors and norms all of a sudden being allowed to take all of that to different playgrounds. Yeah. And I know that's an oversimplified way of comparing it, but and it's, it's not realistic to expect a community that is very homogenous, uh, tight, you know, very tightly connected as hunting was, that somehow you're going to give all of us these tools and we're going to know we're going to understand the best way to, to use yeah. them or that we're able to articulate. I struggle like hell trying to figure out how to articulate what I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing. And I've been at this for a hell of a long time. Yeah. And sometimes I do it so poorly. I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, hunting better get, <laughs> better get someone else with a microphone <laughs> because I'm not the guy. Um but those are just expected outcomes. And sure. I think the important part that I take from it is we learn, mm-hmm. we listen, and we evolve. Yeah. And through that process, our messaging is better. Our, and I'm not saying message something that's not true to what you're doing. Yeah. I'm saying don't fall back to the defensive mechanisms sure. of, well, it's my right to do it. I damn well please. Yeah. You know, get the hell out of here if you don't like it. Yeah. Those are not steps of progress no. in today's world. So the, I maybe you realize it, but f- as an outsider watching this for the last year and a half, uh, you're providing a lot of leadership about how to do that messaging for people like me who have platforms, but probably every one of your readers and listeners are like, Ooh, this, these people are out there. <laughs> On this on this edge, yeah. trying to engage in a way that we just haven't done before. Uh, well, thank you. Um, I think that you know part of part of the plan from the beginning too was also you know some of the brands or organizations I've worked with, and you know our designer is also into branding, and you know with with somebody like Chris Douglas who's had a lot of experience in creative direction, we're hoping that in certain situations that we could provide that professional service to a brand or an organization say, great. Okay. Well, if you want to improve your photography or improve your communication strategy or, or your messaging, then these are some parameters and ways to do it in the same way that you would go to an agency to talk about how do we sell these skis kind of thing. And, but beyond that, one of the other things we're doing on the non-hunter education side, right? Because that's part of the ter- reason we didn't choose the word hunter, modern hunter, because when mm-hmm. somebody hears the word hunter, they immediately associate right. it with what they've seen right. in negative <clears throat> context. So we want to use a different word. And then part of why we're showcasing so many different types of people in so many different locations is so that for the non-hunter, they're no longer lumping everyone into the same category that now they're saying, okay, well, there's actually lots of different types of hunters, right? There's Mm -hmm. the sheep hunters, which is, you know, a whole other, you know, breed of people that likes to 
force themselves to suffer, <laughs> which I totally respect. And I hope I get to do that at some point in life. But sometimes I'm just like, wait, what? You just yeah. did that for a sheep? <laughs> right. And then there's, you know, and then there's duck guys, right? Yeah. My buddy in Houston, like all he cares about is ducks, Yep. you know? And then there's, there's the Midwest whitetail thing and, and everybody's got their different dedication and, and style. And some people are just going to go out on opening day and that's it. And then other people are spending months scouting and tracking and (laughs) right. And, and so to show that there's a different level of, of, uh, and, and type of hunter, I think is important too, Mm -hmm. so that you kind of have a little bit more of a context when you're in a conversation with somebody. Um, and, and also that means that everybody's got a little more breathing room too. No, I, I think it's a brilliant approach. I'm, I am so interested to watch where it goes. And I'm, I hope you don't mind me taking a few notes along the way. No, no. So, I'd love, Tyler, to, Tyler, love to work with you more. The, yeah. these, these guys over here at the Modern Huntsman, they, they said this. So it's kind of my default of, well, I'll blame them. Please. <laughs> no, but, yeah, no. Uh, um, I mean, that's, it, it's been in a spirit of collaboration from the beginning. And, and yeah. you know, it's been amazing that the, the relationships we developed of like mind, right, mm-hmm. have now grown into a larger reaching thing. And, and I, you know, and, and we've been working with Shane a little bit and on some of that stuff and, and, um, yeah, anything we can do to, to help or, or collaborate on or participate in, I'd love to. So, yeah. Do you, do you feel that there are, what would I call it? Softer places or, or easier places to use as your lead in when you're talking to people who they're, you know, they're, maybe they're not, I mean, they're certainly not an anti-hunter, but they're just, they've never been exposed to it. So they don't quite have a feel for it. Are there certain, whether it's topics, whether it's activities that are just seem to be a little bit easier to, to have a discussion around or? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's no surprise the food angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That always seems that people are okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, usually, I mean, pe- most people don't really have a major opposition to deer, mm-hmm. right? Because they've, you know, gotten scared by one or they almost <laughs> hit one in their car right. or something like that, that they, and it's interesting, we discussed this in a, in a previous issue about the word pest, mm-hmm. right? What's considered a pest somewhere is not considered right elsewhere. And someone's personal experience and stuff like that. I mean, it, I guess it just depends on the context. I think that you know, we've intentionally chosen difficult topics. I mean, in the third issue, we had a story about Arctic fox hunting mm-hmm. in Iceland. Yeah. Be knowing that people love Arctic foxes. Yeah. And, but we presented in a cultural context that we never got any backlash about it. Cool. And so I think that, again, I think it more comes down to tone, mm-hmm. right? And um, almost like, you know, if you're having a makeup conversation, right? Maybe you're just like speaking a little softer and you're not like, Hey, uh, so here's the way it is. You know, it's a little, <laughs> I think that knowing, yeah, when my wife and I are having a makeup conversation, I'm pretty subdued. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I think that that's kind of what it comes down to is, uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, at least in terms of Africa, you know, there's been a lot of situations where I've had to have those conversations um, yeah. and, and just say it in a way that was uh, a little more, you know, calm and, and relaxed. And 
and regardless of the fact, right, people, emotions are real. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, so you can't talk them out of their emotions. You have to respect the fact that they feel that way and, and kind of give some space for that and, and not, yeah. you know, combat that. Right. Yeah. And, and by showing appreciation or acceptance of those things, a lot of times they immediately soften. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well you, you just listen to what I have to say and I appreciate you you know, hearing me out and, and trying to connect with me. Uh, and at the end of the day, right, we all care about wildlife. That's that's what it comes down to. And Shane does a really good job of saying, you know what, the beautiful part of the future or the, the optimism of the future should be based in the idea that probably 80% of us all care about mm-hmm. clean air, clean water, productive landscapes, and the, and the wild things that need wild places. Yeah. So that covers a pretty wide swath. Yeah. So where we might differ and where sometimes conflicts or or name calling comes into play is a pretty small part of the landscape yeah. Uh, yeah. of of topics and of feelings and and where our our passions are. Have you ever seen that Instagram account Nature is Metal? No. Oh my gosh. You need to look that up. It's really? it's basically a collection. I don't know where this person finds this stuff, video clips and photos of just the savagery of nature. Whoa. And that's sometimes I'll send that to people after conversations, be like, listen, yeah, I care about animals. You care about animals. Animals don't really care about each other. <laughs> they kill each other and eat each other in the most savage and brutal ways imaginable. Right. Stuff that's worse than any of the horror movies that you could go see in a theater. Right. And so just keep that in mind, right. That regardless of whether you think you're not part of the natural order anymore, you are, it's just, you know, we wear fancy clothes now and especially, (laughs) especially in Africa, right. Where, you know, some of these villagers are are dealing with lions and elephants on a, on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's, something that's taught me a lot about just seeing how brutal it can be and being in danger myself. And yeah. that's something that, you know, doesn't necessarily apply to, you know, the Shields Valley right. per se, unless you're driving home late at night through the deer gauntlet. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> you still had quite a few of them out here. When, oh, yeah. I, when I drove up over the noon hour, mm-hmm. the gauntlet down here was still full mm. of oh, there, subjects. There's mule deer and whitetail all over this place. And there's <laughs> moose on the, on the other side too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that, that that's, I feel yeah. like I answered the question, right? Well, I tried yeah, to, you, in a full you, circle. No, you, you did. <laughs> and so one, one of the things I often wonder can I ask how old you are, Tyler? Yeah, so I'm 36. Okay. Yeah. So I'm 55. Um, I was alive when the Cuyahoga River started on fire mm-hmm. in Ohio. And every year of my life, the air's gotten cleaner. The water has gotten cleaner. There have been more elk, not less elk. There have been more waterfowl, not less waterfowl. And... I feel that maybe in the last 10 or 15 years, we've kind of plateaued, Mm -hmm. not completely, but in a lot of instances. And as someone who's been able to see this remarkable recovery and just what's happened since I was born in 1964 is nothing compared to if I was measuring this from 1930 Mm -hmm. or or whatever. Um, I often wonder... Do we, is it just part of the human condition that 
until we view something as threatened or that we're going to lose something we love or an opportunity we currently have, we struggle to allocate time and, and advocacy towards it. And I, maybe I'm wrong in, in that view, uh, but I, I just, I feel that the, the fact that we see things happening in our day today, in just modern world of, well, we're willing to compromise this standard for water or this standard for clean air or this, whatever it might be. Or, yeah. you know, let's just hold on to these few migration corridors. These wild, this wildlife will be okay as long as mm-hmm. they have this migration corridor. Um, I, it, it bothers me. Maybe I don't need to be bothered. Maybe I, I'm making it up in my head. But those are topics that I see out my front windshield of how do you say this without sounding like you're preaching, without sounding like your grandpa, mm-hmm. you know, the old, the good old days, you know, or man, we had to walk uphill both ways just to get to school. Yeah. And, da, da. and so trying to craft effective messaging around those kind of things that are so dear to me about the, just the bigger picture that's so necessary for the things we love. I, I, that's probably where my greatest struggle comes in is how do I say that in a way where it's not going to get tuned out, where it's not going to be viewed as a political statement. Sure. Because as quick as it is viewed as a political statement, it's getting tuned out. Right. And the things that you're doing when you talk about traditions and cultures, I think those stories are really powerful where when those people talk about it, mm-hmm. it has a way more powerful uh, voice than Randy living a sure. wonderful life in Bozeman, Montana, yeah. a great standard of living. It doesn't quite resonate when I talk about, yeah. okay, the, the caribou or the rough grouse or the, whatever the, the situation may be like it would with these stories that you're talking about mm-hmm. with cultures and traditions. And so I, I, out of my own laziness or my own ineptitude of being able to do it the way that you guys are, I hope when when you guys are telling those things that readers can take from that a, a bit of a, wow, this really is affecting them. I wonder how it's affected my community, yeah. my culture. Because we get so lost in the busyness of everything yeah. that we don't pull our head up to assess how is it going for the other wild things out there. Well, I think that one of the ways... Personally, I think to address it, so we, we talked about it in, in the Arctic fox story in Iceland is how with increased urbanization and people wanting to live these urban lifestyles, these people would actually leave these remote areas of Iceland and the wildlife the birds saw the humans as protection from the foxes. The, the wildlife would follow the humans towards the city. So these areas would become barren, right? How and cool so the, is only, that? the only way to generate interest in protecting that area outside of the people who currently live there and protect it is to approach or reach the urban urbanites. Right. So I think that that's something that we're working on, or at least trying to consider with the approach. What is some, somebody in New York city or San Francisco or Los Angeles or Chicago or Seattle or wherever else, how can you get them interested in that? And <clears throat> because it doesn't affect their life. I mean, think about think about the little girl on the subway. Right. How are you going to get her to care about a bird she's never seen? Yeah. Right. And There's... so 
and, and so I'm, I'm kind of the type of person who's like, that's the problem. What are, what are solutions? How do we do that? Right. One would be give them access to see it. Right. Which exists. Right. But also from a standpoint, I mean, who knows what her family situation situation is the likelihood that her family was going to take a vacation out of Manhattan. It's probably not going to be to the Shields Valley to see (laughs) a grouse, you know, probably not, you know? And so I think that having, uh, avenues of education, right. But not just education, something interesting and engaging a film that you actually want to watch versus a banquet film. Yeah. You know, and then from that, an avenue of support. And I mentioned we have a Modern Huntsman Foundation that's kind of been in a holding pattern because of everything else going on. But hopefully that's something that we can do is is not only support other organizations that are doing this great work, but help produce material like what we're doing that it generates more interest from urbanites or non-hunters to then be like, oh, well, that's cool. My grandpa was into grouse. Maybe, you know, maybe we should go see it or give some money. And so, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's been the issue for me is, right, so many of us are members of the same club, having right. the same conversation, agreeing with each other. And then when that conversation leaves the room, it stops being productive. Yep. So, <laughs> that's, when you boil it down, that's that's what we're we're trying to do, right? Is how do you get that 80% of the population that doesn't hunt interested in, maybe not necessarily hunting, but understanding that, like you're saying, some things need to be preserved and we need their help kind of yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. And how do you keep their attention with some flashing lights and maybe a, a techno song or something? I don't know. <laughs> we got to figure that out. Uh, well, the one thing that I have learned is when we first started this, I wanted to be a digital platform when we started in Mm -hmm. 2008 and I got laughed out of the place. I got laughed out for so many reasons. I said I wanted to do all public land and create advocates for the public land cause. Mm -hmm. People looked at me as if, man, you look like you got dropped on your head as a a child. Now we know you have. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about self-guided hunting, not because... I mean, I've been on guided hunts, but at the time, all media that I could find mm-hmm. was guided hunting, mm-hmm. where the majority of, of at least the U.S. stuff was was uh, self-guided. And so I, I kind of had people looking at me like, hmm, really? And now you want to do it digitally? Mm-hmm. Like this, you what? You, you, t- yeah. I, and I didn't really even, I, part of it was my fault. I didn't have a very strong understanding of how uh, digital could be done because it was, it, that was emerging sure. at the time, 2008. But one thing I have learned in all of this process is you have people who they are, we as humans are creatures of our own habits and comforts where you have some people who want to consume via print. You have some people who want to consume their messaging and their, whether it's information or inspiration via podcast mm-hmm. or via film or via whatever. And so we've made a point to try be as many places of contact yeah. as those people, wherever they are at, we want to bring our stories mm-hmm. and it, after realizing that you're not going to convince my brother who is 48 years old to go and change his consuming habits or where he consumes uh, message and media, I better just be there. Sure. Uh, 
it got a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. It got a whole lot more effective. And uh, it, it kind of tells me back when you were talking about how we always wanted to just be the, you know, be with our own little group of friends. So mm-hmm. our message felt good. Yeah. Um, ha- forcing myself to have to go to all these other media platforms to reach and give a message exposes you to a whole lot of different people also. Yeah. It, it has for us anyhow. And every one of those uh, exposures has benefited our platforms, whether they've been positive or maybe slightly argumentative or whatever. They all give me cause to say, all right, are we doing what we set out to do with this? Are we pushing the envelope? Are we being honest? Are we saying something that sounds apologetic? But I mean, the whole list goes on and on depending on the, the engagement, but... It it's an interesting time where now you can communicate in so many different platforms that you get exposed to so many different people that you never would have if all your communication was through XYZ Outdoor yeah. Magazine. Yeah. It's it's a cool time. It is. For me anyhow. No, it is. And you know, it also the the good side, right, is that when you're being provided instant feedback, it forces us to become better or more articulate or, and you know, we, I was with Byron in Namibia and so this was last May and it was CIC, which is a European conservation organization. And they hosted a panel discussion with a room full of non-hunting journalists from Europe and, and then Byron and I to discuss hunting in Africa. And we got hammered, Uh right? But we know how to talk about it because we've spent our career and um, it was, it was an opportunity, right? That we've been all the hateful comments online and all those things and having responses and, and, and then getting questioned and then having to do the research yourself led us to this point where we were prepared to disarm every single one of them and, and talk about how, no, that's not true. That's misinformation. And, and that's actually not true anymore either because they passed a new law and that person's just, uh, uh, you know, disrespectful, unethical hunter. So they don't yeah. count. They're not part of the, the group anymore. And that's why we got approached by some of these government officials because yeah. they were like, wow. <laughs> and cool. it was just cool because there's no way we would have been able to do that had we not been interacting online, like you're saying, and mm-hmm. getting challenged and questioned and and then some people just saying hateful stuff and right. being able to filter through that. But it's uh, it's a blessing and a curse, I guess, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's part of where the skill set comes is deciding which of these engagements or discussions are worth having in which of these people wake up every morning and say, I'm not happy till you're not happy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Cause there are some people who <laughs> that's yeah. just who they are, regardless of what the topic is. Some so, people just want to watch it all burn down. Yeah. I think that was from Batman. Yeah. And so, uh, an old Hank Williams senior line in one of his songs was rather fight than breathe. Mm. Uh, yeah. there are some people that oh, absolutely. It, it's it, it, and the new online experience gives them that exhilaration on boy, I showed them. I, and so I just carve those people. Sure. Oh, I, I don't, I don't mean to disregard what they might have to say. It's just their tone tells me I'm not, I'm wasting my time. There yeah. are so many people who, right. who want to <clears throat> listen, who want to understand more. Mm-hmm. I'm going there. Sure. And, well, at the end of the day, what, what's to be gained? 
<laughs> frustration. Right. Well, you know, <laughs> even if somebody's being aggressive in tone, if they're trying to be constructive, you know, that's at least worth something. Right. right? But there's some people who just, they yeah. want to spew, spew hate and venom. Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely a different time. I mean, I just think about how it was 10, 12 years ago. And as much as people, I think change creates uh, some trepidation and insecurities, I feel more confident about the future of the things we love as, a, as an activity called hunting today than I did five years ago, than I did 10 years ago. And some people say, how can you, how can you yeah. feel that way? Well, for me, I feel that way because I see the maturation or the change in how we as a hunting community are able to tell our story. And mm -hmm. we're a long ways from where we need to be or maybe a long ways from where some people want us to be. But we have made a lot of progress. Mm -hmm. And that's re it's really going to come down to how, how compelling is our story and how well do we tell our story. Yeah. Because the very first thing they teach you in communications is if you don't tell your story, someone's going to tell it for oh, absolutely. you. And the way they tell it's not going to be the way that you want it told. Yeah. So you better get out there, take the risks, take the challenges, and start telling your own story as best you can. And also who you're telling the story to. Yeah. 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 And so for me, I, I'm excited to see you know, platforms like Modern Huntsman. There, there's so many yeah. of them that are out there that yeah. are really plowing new ground and making a difference, even though they may not feel they are. I, I feel that collectively it's making a big difference. Yeah, it feels, it feels like it. And, you know, obviously we can, we can always get better and, and do more, but, uh, yeah, I think that it's nice to have a collective pat on the back every once in a while. <laughs> like, oh, this is why, this is why, um, you know? Um, well, but I, yeah, and, and it's been, we've, we've got a lot of messages from vegans and vegetarians mm -hmm. who said, Hey, I don't really want to hunt, but if I did, I could do it that way. Yeah. Or they pointed to a specific story about the way somebody, you know, has a close connection to the land and the wildlife. And, and that's something they identified with. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. I think that that, that food angle is a, is a good one. Yeah. Well, are there things that you want to make sure people know about what you guys are doing that haven't covered? I, I had this kind of list and, and it's like when I go and give a keynote, mm -hmm. I have a list of points that I build about a 30 minute presentation yeah. from. And usually I read the, hi, I'm Randy Newberg, da, 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 and then I just go off script. Yeah. So I feel like I've sort of done that here. I've, yeah. We've covered uh, a lot of ground. I, I think that, you know, I, I would say that if there's, you know, someone who, has been one of the many people who had it in a, in a cart and never actually bought it. Cause you know, mm -hmm. $35 what we sell it for on the website. A lot of people are like, Ugh, that's, you yeah. know, but mm -hmm. these are like go on the bookshelf and never go away. They're right. not time sensitive, you know? And, and so that is a lot for people to invest in. But I think that that's the kind of thing that, um, you know, I, I would, I would try to communicate, right. Is that mm -hmm. this is something that we're able, we're only able to do this because of the support of, people, right. individuals, readers, and then a select group of, of brands. We don't have ads yep. really. We have some sponsorship pages where that we shoot and we write talking about how we worked on this issue together. But you know, if, 
so this is, I hope this isn't like a shameless, uh, shameless no, plea not, for support, but you know, when you listen to NPR and NPR <laughs> says this is listener supported right. radio, we're, we're a reader supported you know, subscriber supported publication. And so if you've ever been on the fence, um, I sure would appreciate it. You know, we're, we're certainly would love to get more people subscribed and, and involved. And we're launching a lot of cool stuff this year with, um, you know, we're launching the print shop and we're launching apparel with hats and shirts and collaborations with leather workers. And, um, like I said, live events and some hunting, there's some guys uh, we've featured in previous publications that do hunting courses. Um, so we're going to be working on some stuff like that and just trying to think about what is the modern huntsman version of an event? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, we're, we're hoping to, uh, to expand a lot of the stuff this year and hopefully I can bring on some of these amazing people full time. I've been working on that for a while, trying to get how we scale that, not scale it, but grow and, um, mm-hmm. you know, be producing a lot more stuff on a consistent basis. Uh, well, that, that was not a shameless plug. That was kind of a beat around the bush thing. Tyler. <laughs> so I'm going to give the shameless plug because I give a lot of money and uh, not lots. I mean, lots of money is mm-hmm. lots, but as a percentage of my charitable budget every year, sure. a lot of it goes to independent media. Mm-hmm. I think in today's world, having independent media sources yeah. is invaluable. And I don't care if they slant, they're going to have some slants here and there, depending sure. on the topic. I, 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 I'm going to make the same pitch mm-hmm. for the value of independent media as I am uh, here to say people, the way that you, that modern huntsman is going about this is worth your $35. Well, thanks. It, it, for, <laughs> for, for, for not just for your own reading pleasure and visual pleasure of just the amazing imagery in these pieces, but the fact that you guys have said, you know what? No one else is going to go and be on this risky edge. Yeah. We will. Well, guess what? Even if you write something that maybe I have a different perspective on, I am thankful that someone is taking that and going out there. Because the more that we blur the line, the greater it is that there no longer is this well-defined line. And that's beneficial to hunting and conservation and everything else. So. So that is my not shameless plug <laughs> other than my own selfish thanks sure. for, for what you guys are doing because I, I don't it. I don't know anyone else who's taken it on. And it's when I saw it, I, I told you before we turned on the mic, I saw volume one, I think, at the Sitka office here in Bozeman. And I wrote it down or I think it, actually I think I took a picture of it mm-hmm. on my phone. I'm scrolling through a couple of days later. I'm like, oh, yeah, I was going to do something with that. Mm-hmm. Well, I went onto your website and became a subscriber starting with volume two. And uh, it's, I'm on auto renew because awesome. I, uh, it's, it's worth every penny well, of it and then some. We've got a lot more, a lot more coming down the pipeline. And, um, and just to clarify, if you subscribe, it's only $30 an issue. It's 60 for the year. And then you end up getting discounts on back issues. So that's the way to go if you actually are going to jump in. But, uh, but, you know, at the very least, right, we have a lot of stuff on the website. Um, and we do a lot of stuff through Instagram and, and the podcast. There's all kinds of extensions on the stories. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, we're, we're starting to get a little bit ahead now in terms of 
planning issues and um, it's a good problem to have, but there's so many talented people that have sent us ideas and just far flung places of the earth with things I didn't even know existed about. I mean, we, <laughs> you know, we, we have, a, we're going to have a story in this next one about those, um, those women in Korea, the free diver octopus urchin harvesters. Never heard of it. Yeah. It's like these 60 year old women in Korea who are free divers and gather all this seafood. It's amazing. They're world fit. Well, they're famous in the free diving world. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, stuff like that. I mean, it's, I never would have thought that that just literally shows up in the inbox. You're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll publish that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh Um, my goodness. So yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I appreciate the conversation and the opportunity to be on here. It's, days like this that remind me why we're doing this because some days it doesn't feel that way. Yep. Um, especially as we enter into production on the next one, it's going to be, you know, intense. I would, I would have been here anyway. So, you know, I appreciate you taking the time and if ever we can lend any favors of getting the word out about what you guys are doing, let us know. Thank you. And all of you listening, go to modernhuntsman.com and follow along. Uh, subscribe and what's your instagram page at modern huntsman at modern huntsman and then my personal ones it's at tyler sharp photo but i'm not okay. as active on that as i get pulled in other directions yeah, yeah no <laughs> so. i i can relate to that uh i have my own instagram page but i get a lot of help <laughs> yeah I, I need i'm working on that part <laughs> yeah uh tyler thanks so much thanks for what you guys are doing thanks for your time today and uh People, if you're listening, uh, support people who are doing important work for what we all love, hunting and conservation. Thanks, Randy.